don't have a lot to say today, but I can still use a lot of time. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, it's good to see you. We were, uh, we had a COVID Christmas in our house. I did take a test yesterday. I don't have it anymore. Just so I could be confident standing up here, even though my nose is running. And Rochelle was joking with me yesterday. She said, I can't believe you. You're going to, what a joke. You're going to be up there and your nose is sniffling. You're going to freak everybody out. So I just took a test. I'm not, I don't have anything uh, anymore. Just a bit of a head cold. But I want to just talk through um, and make some really simple observations just from a, a story in the Gospels I just was struck with this week. And, and I, I, again, I, I'm not claiming uh, today to have any like profound sort of insight um, or to wow you with in any way, but I hope that this uh, ministers to you. I've been just reflecting on it myself, and it's from Luke 24. If you have a Bible, you can take it out and, or take your phone out, your version app out, Luke 24. Verse 13, we're going to start. And this seems like maybe an odd text for, I guess, what is the first service of our year, but that's okay. Thank you. Instead of just wiping my nose with my fingers all day. <laughs> oh, Rochelle's going to really ride me hard on the second service if I'm still wiping my nose. All right. Uh, that same day... So this is after the resurrection, just so you know. <laughs> that same day, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened. In the Greek, that word for talking there is actually pretty intense. It's like they were not arguing, but like intensely discussing everything that had been happening. It's a bit of a mirror of what we find ourselves doing even in this time. There's such intense discussion about everything going on. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began to walk with them, but God kept them from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas, replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened here in the last few days. I love that. <laughs> oh, what things, Jesus asked. He was playing dumb with them. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles, and he was a mighty teacher. In the eyes of God and all the people, but our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. I want to just stop there for a moment. I think a couple really important things are happening. Number one, Jesus is giving these these men space, well, we think they're two men. There could be a man and a woman there. We're not sure, but he's giving them space to process what's going on in their world and in their life. 
He's giving them space to repeat back to him, actually. Hey, this is what's going on in my heart. Did you notice that when they stopped, when he said, hey, what are you guys talking about? They, they actually stop. And sadness and hopelessness kind of overwhelm them. And they begin to recount the story of, of what had happened in the last three days. But, but listen to what they're doing. They're c- contrasting what they've seen around them with what they thought was supposed to happen with Jesus. We thought he was the Messiah. And we thought things were going to go different than they did. We thought he was going to kind of rise up at this last minute and overthrow his enemies. That's literally what they thought. And Jesus is giving them time and space to process the discrepancy between what they thought was supposed to happen and what actually did happen. He gives them time and space to actually work through and try and reconcile these things in their life. Like it's okay to be honest about what you're processing and how you're feeling and, and, and what's frustrating to you and what's going on in your life and how X doesn't kind of equal Y and how nothing seems to add up and there's this cognitive dissonance that we're experiencing today that they were experiencing then. And Jesus is like, all right, let's talk about it. I think one of the, the most important things, I just was reminded of this over the last two days. Uh, because like you, I can just, I can go down these rabbit trails that, you know, after an hour, you're like, whoa, how did I just spend an hour reading all of these things and researching all of these things? And in the last two days, Jesus himself has challenged me. Andrew, who are you processing the events of life with? With Twitter or with me? Who are you processing with, Andrew? And I was deeply convicted. And honestly, I'd been processing with Twitter (laughs) and just rehashing my frustrations and everything that I'm feeling inside. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's not the right place to process this. You need to process this in my presence with me. And as he walks this road to Emmaus with these disciples who are, who, who are terribly despondent over what's taken place in their world around them, he says, talk to me about it. And they begin to share this, 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 uh, you know, this thing that's not adding up for them. Like this, I can't figure this out. Listen to what they say. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early in the morning and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see and sure enough, his body was gone just as the women had said. Then Jesus said to them, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? You're not seeing it from my perspective. Jesus then goes on through the remainder of this walk to then reframe their whole perspective. Like you need to see me through everything that you've been reading and studying in the Old Testament. You need to see me. You need to see that this was what God was doing all along. 
You need to see that I've always been present, that the, the rails have never kind of fallen off over a cliff. You need to see that everything that's taken place was written about me, that I've come and I've fulfilled it and it didn't look the way you thought it would, but I've still been at work. I've still been accomplishing my purposes on the earth. And Jesus takes this time to just reformat perspective for these men as they're walking on this road. It says he took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. By this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. Jesus acted as, as if he was going on, but they begged him. I want, I, I want to just stop and highlight that. But they begged him. So often in my own life and, and maybe in your experience too, we, we want to get kind of the counsel of Jesus on things. We want a bit of a renewed perspective. But often we're content to just pick up a little bit along the way here. Like, just walk with me. I just, I'm having a hard day right now, Jesus, or a hard moment or whatever it is. And I just, I need you right now. So just walk with me. But then after the moment passes, often if it was us, we just let him go his way. But notice here that they begged him to stay. We're not satisfied with just getting a little bit enough from you in this moment to feel better about ourselves. We're begging you to stay. There's something more we want to receive from you. There's something intangible about you that is attractive to us that we need to lean into further. I wonder just in your life and in, in my life right now, what would characterize how we approach Jesus right now, how we approach our spiritual life, how we approach prayer, how we approach reading scripture, how we approach um, intimacy with God. Are we content to just sort of walk along the road and in the moment when we get what we want to just move on to the next thing? Or are we actually uh, sitting in the same posture as these disciples who said, no, 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 that's not enough, Jesus. Well, I need to go further and deeper with you. I'm begging you, stay. Let's continue this. I don't want to just kind of go on to business as usual tonight and tomorrow. I, there's something more that I need from you in my life. Are you in that posture where you are begging Jesus for more time in his presence right now? continues on. If I can find it. So they begged him and asked if he would stay the night since it was getting late. So he went home with them. As they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it and he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And at that very moment, he disappeared. It's so interesting. I, I've been wondering about this. I've been asking God about this for a little while. Like, why? <laughs> like at that moment where you, they figure it all out, like they put all the pieces together, he's gone. He's gone. 
Watch their response. Let's keep reading here. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem, where they had come from. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord is really risen. He has appeared to Peter. Then the two from Emmaus told their story of how Jesus appeared to them as they walked along the road and how they had recognized him as he was breaking the bread. And just as they were telling about it, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you so frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet. You could see it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. Look at what has happened at the, the really real revelation of Jesus in their midst. Their, their countenance, their lives have turned from sadness and despair into joy and wonder because they connected what they believed with what was really real. And we have, to, we have to somehow make this connection. I'm desperate for this in my own life right now, to make this connection, to close the gap between what I believe and what I experience as really real because it is only what we experience as really real that will sustain us through moments like we're in. It's only the really real presence of Jesus that will actually carry us through. It's not our high-minded thinking or our theology or our doctrine. It's actually a really real encounter with the really real Jesus. And he goes out of his way to eat with them and to demonstrate that he's really there. Like, I'm really here with you guys. I haven't gone. I'm not, I haven't left you to your own devices. I'm really, really, really here. Would they have gotten that experience from Jesus if they had let him just keep walking on his way? No. We need to be a people these days that press through the normal barriers we have in our spiritual life to access something of the presence of Jesus that we couldn't otherwise access. And that's what happens when we, when we get to that moment where it's like, oh, I'm ready to just go on. I'm ready to kind of head back onto social or I'm ready to head back into my life where Jesus is saying, if you just stay with me for a few more minutes, if you just stay in my presence, that you don't know what's about to take place. And this is what he challenged me with in the last few days. Andrew, you need to be in my presence. If you want to figure out how to process everything going on, it's not going to happen through Twitter. It's not going to happen by reading blog posts and listening to Joe Rogan and all of these things. It's going to happen by being in my presence. And not just haphazardly in my presence, like intentionally, really real in my presence. I love how here Luke is connecting the presence of Jesus when they didn't know it, as they're walking along the road, the presence of Jesus when they didn't know it with what they described as this burning in their hearts. I love how Luke is connecting that our bodies themselves 
are a conduit for us to feel and encounter the presence of God? Is your body, are you even in tune with that reality? That the presence of God can so manifest itself to you that you actually feel it physically in your body. This is what these men recognize on the back end of this. Like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, all along, we, we, we actually tangibly felt his presence, but we didn't know it. As we are heading into 2022 and our, you know, our word for the year, as you probably know, is revelation. And that's this unveiling of what is really real, the unseen, really real reality of the present. And these men, as they walked on this road, they had a revelation of the presence of Jesus and they couldn't recognize it. Would you recognize his presence in your life right now? in a tangible way, if you were demonstrating it. For these men, it took more intentional time. It took breaking through that initial barrier to, to being in the home with Jesus. And it's interesting, it's, it's as he breaks the bread that their eyes are open. God opens their eyes. I wonder if part of what, what Jesus and God are intending with that is to remind us that it's not through the display of strength. It's actually through a display of brokenness and surrender that we most deeply encounter the presence of God. It's in our weakness that he's strong. It's in our moments where we feel like we don't have what we need to carry on, that God often comes through and reveals himself most tangibly and powerfully. And these men were looking for the strength of the Messiah. They were looking for the overthrow of the Roman government. They were looking for a Messiah to come with you know, sword and shield and power and a display of the glory of God. But Jesus comes in brokenness and in humility and surrender. And when they see that sign of brokenness again, when he breaks the bread, they go, aha, that's right. This is the tangible evidence of the presence of God is the brokenness and surrender that come with his presence. I want to encourage you today, encourage myself with this. I, I don't think that what we should be doing is waiting for this powerful external kind of like God overwhelm the enemies of our land, kind of sweep through with a mighty victorious arm. I mean, that would be amazing. But I think what we're going to see in the days ahead as trouble increases and as stress kind of ramps up and as the church comes under more and more pressure, as the church experiences more persecution, it's actually going to be in that that the power of God is revealed, not in a demonstration of strength over our enemy. It's actually in a demonstration of brokenness and humility and gentleness that the kingdom of God breaks out. So the question is, would we be willing to be people 
who press through the normal barriers we would have in relation to Jesus, to be close to and near to him, to be the kind of people who beg him to stay and be close with us so that we can experience the really real tangible presence of Jesus, which transforms people from you know, the Peter who's cutting off the high priest servant's ear, Malchus's ear at the end of the gospels to the Peter later on in his life who says that it's actually patience and perseverance that produces the fruit of righteousness in our life. That it's not strength and power and exerting power, but it's actually bearing up under suffering that is the, the releaser of the power of the kingdom of God in our life. He has given you, as Peter said, everything you need for life and godliness. You have everything right now at your disposal to walk in confident strength. Not in bravado and in like, you know, I'm gonna take on the world, but to walk in peace and in strength in your life today. You have with you, beside you, in you, around you, the very presence of Jesus. So you don't have to walk in fear. You don't have to walk, um, you know, with a limp. We don't have to be intimidated or dissuaded from what's going on around us. I don't have to walk in fear of, you know, legislation in the government coming down on religious institutions and counseling practices and all of these things because I'm walking with the one who has all authority and power and he's really real and he's really here. The question for us is, are you willing to be the kind of person that stops and begs him for more of his presence and more time in his presence? Or are you gonna be content to just kind of go through the motions and through your day? I want to read you this just to end. I've been kind of picking my way through a biography of, of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And um, I want to read to you a story that has just deeply impacted me that is really setting the trajectory for where we're going to go as a church this year. Our culture and our media and our everything around us, whether we recognize it or not, whether we like it or not, is shaping and forming us. It's shaping and forming our kids. It's shaping and forming our students. Our universities are shaping and forming. You cannot not be shaped and formed under the weight of the pressure of everything coming around. Our culture is shaping you and I right now to be divisive and angry and suspicious of each other. We are intentionally being shaped right now to actually not walk in unity. We're being shaped to be angry and frustrated at people that are making different choices than we are. We are literally being formed to do that. You don't get a chance as to whether or not that's happening. The question is, what are you doing to counterform yourself into the image of Christ? If you are passive this year 
I'll say this more than maybe any other year, although it's true for every year. If you and I are passive this year about how we counterform ourselves and our families into the image of God, we will be shaped into the image that the world, the flesh, and the devil have for us. Ephesians 2 is still in play. Read it. Ephesians 2, 1, well, the whole chapter's good, but... The world, the flesh, and the devil are all shaping and forming us. The question is, are we the kind of people that are begging Jesus to stay so that we can be counterformed into his image? This is a little story from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. This was as things were really ramping up in Nazi Germany, in and around the Second World War time. Dietrich Bonhoeffer had formed this little seminary kind of in the middle of nowhere. But this seminary, many people don't realize it wasn't, this was a, this was a monastic movement that he had. He was walking with these young men and women deeply into spiritual disciplines and monastic practices as a beautiful resistance to what was happening in culture around them. It wasn't just sort of Bible study kind of stuff. It was hardcore monastic kind of like separate yourself from the world and be shaped by the spirit and presence of God. This is what he's doing when his friends began to read copies of his sermons and hear reports about Bonhoeffer's intensity of discipleship at Finkenwald, questions began to arise. Was this level of formation truly necessary? Literally, his friends and his colleagues and the people around him said, Dietrich, you've gone too far. You've gone over the deep end. You're, too, you're crazy. Like, you're taking this too seriously. Like, Jesus and faith, and Christianity. Like, you, you gotta rein it back, Dietrich. That's literally what was happening as people were watching what he was doing and hearing his sermons and messages. Was this level of formation necessary? Would the Finkenwalders, the ones who were with him, would they burn out? Would they lose credibility and be seen as too extreme by the national church? One friend in particular, a young historian named Wilhelm Niesel, who had heard Bonhoeffer lecture in 1933, came up from Berlin to visit, being suspicious of too much spiritualism. This is his friend. Bonhoeffer took Niesel on a rowing trip to the Oder Sound. One author described the scene this way. This is how I want to just leave this with you. When the two rowers reached the far shore, Bonhoeffer led Niesel up a small hill to a clearing from which they could see in the distance a vast field and the runways of a nearby squadron. German fighter planes were taking off and landing and soldiers moved hurriedly in purposeful patterns. Like so many ants, Bonhoeffer spoke of a new generation of Germans in training whose disciplines were formed for a kingdom of hardiness and cruelty. It would be necessary, he explained, to propose a superior discipline if the Nazis were to be defeated. Listen to what Bonhoeffer says to his friend who's worried that he's gone off the deep end is being too spiritual about his life. This is what Dietrich says, you have to be stronger than these tormentors that you find everywhere today. 
as they're looking at this airfield with soldiers, thousands upon thousands, marching in formation. What Dietrich says is make no mistake, our intentionality about following Jesus Christ must be stronger and more intentional than the formation that's happening on this battlefield. If we are going to try and sleepwalk our way through what's happening around us, we are going to get destroyed. It's time for the church to rise up and be intentional about our walk with Jesus, intentional about begging him to stay, about not being satisfied with Sunday morning spirituality and the status quo. It's time for us to be intentional about being formed into the image of Christ because our country and our neighborhoods and our friends need people that bring them hope because we're different. Because we're people of grace and mercy and love. We're people who when push comes to shove, the character of the fruit of the spirit comes gushing out, not the venom of this world. People who walk with patient endurance and hope for the things of God in a world where everybody is coming unraveled at record rates, where children and teenagers and students are suffering with depression and anxiety and being overwhelmed beyond the breaking point. We need people who don't just say they follow Jesus, but people who practice the disciplines that Jesus himself did to be a light in dark places. This is, as a church, where we're going to be going this year. There's a practical way that we can be counter-shaped into the image of Christ. And that image of Christ is a beautiful resistance to the bitterness and brokenness that is everywhere around us. Would we be people who are willing to beg Jesus to stay a little longer, to go into prayer a little more, to, to be in scripture a little more, to be with each other a little more, to be worshiping and encouraging each other corporately together more so that we can see the kingdom of God break through into dark places. Let's stand up. Father, we just... Uh, we need you. Father, I pray that we would be people who recognize the really real presence of Jesus in our lives, but the kind of people who aren't just willing to let Jesus keep walking until we need him again on another stressful day, but the kind of people who are are, are willing to stop and beg him, beg him to move in our life, beg him to be close, beg him to be near, beg him to manifest himself to us. Father, I pray for each one here that you would just fill them with a holy hope that we can be shaped into the image of Christ that we can be formed into his likeness, that we can carry his kingdom into dark places this year. And the dark places are not everywhere else, it's all around us. 
Father, that we would be shaped and formed as people of mercy and grace and people of peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. I just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would call our spirits to attention even right now. I just speak that into the unseen realm. I just call every spirit to attention right now in Jesus' name, calling us out to be intentionally counterformed into the beautiful image of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.